You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Good morning. It's so great to be with you today and to do really a follow-up to what Peter shared with us last week, which was so powerful and so amazing. Last week, Peter talked about the story of the prodigal son and how God used the famine that occurred to bring him back home. And really, it was about the mind and the heart of the prodigal son. And we're going to kind of jump off that and move into another mind and heart uh, study today, which is going to be, I think, good for us and help us in, in this journey. I wonder if you've ever heard the term, OK Boomer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a meme. It's a thing that's been on the internet now for a while. But basically, uh, it, says, it says the definition is, OK Boomer is a viral internet slang phrase used often in humorous or ironic manner to call out or dismiss out-of-touch or closed-minded opinions associated with the boomer generation and older people more generally. Here's an example. A boomer says this, Kids nowadays are so allergic. Back in my day, we used to eat bees and wipe our face with poison ivy. The non-boomer, the younger generation, replies, Okay, boomer. (laughs) Um, It's funny, but it's not funny. It's funny that that's how the younger generation often looks at us as boomers. That we're kind of disconnected, we're out of touch, we don't really understand a lot of what life is all about and what they're experiencing. So with that idea in mind today, I want us to to jump into another important topic, and that's the mind and the heart of a father. Fathers and mothers, let's put it that way. Um... So we know the prodigal son went out, the famine helped get his attention, he made the decision to return, but the transaction wouldn't have been complete unless the father had welcomed him. And so when we look at that, when we look at this story, I just have four characteristics that to me stick out about who the father was that I think are important for us to think about this morning. The first one was the father was a man of patience. we don't know how long the, the boy was gone from, uh, from the, it tells us in the book of Luke, but we know that it was probably a long time. It was long enough to take all the money he had to go squander, use it, to end up being on his own, homeless, and then going and hiring himself out to a farmer. So, but the key thing that it says is that no matter how long that took, the father was always patiently waiting for his son to come home, and he never, ever gave up on that idea. The second thing that we can look and see about who the father was, his mind and his heart, was the father's heart was only filled with love. Um, It says, and we've heard this story so many times before, and we know that even when he saw the son was far away, but coming home, it says the father ran to him, which a Jewish father would never do. It was just unbecoming of a Jewish gentleman. He would never do that, but this father did. And when he gets to his son, what he doesn't do is say, I told you so. What were you thinking? How could you do this to me? He basically just loves his son. 
And to me, that's such a powerful thing. And, and it's a convicting thing because as human fathers and mothers, I think our first tendency often is to go to those kinds of statements. But yet he doesn't do it. He simply loves his son. And the third thing that really stands out to me about this father, the heart of this father and the mind of this father, is that he was a forgiver. Um, the son has his speech all planned out of what he's going to say, and he comes and he falls at his father's feet, and he's weeping, and he begins to say to his father, hey, just take me back like one of your uh, hired hands. And uh, yet the thing the father does instantly is he forgives him. And I'm going to say, I think sometimes in our culture and sometimes as fathers and mothers, is it hardest to forgive our own children? We'll forgive other people's children of things that they've done, but uh, we struggle with forgiving our own sometimes. And then the fourth thing that really stands out to me is the father knew what mattered most. And what mattered most was that the son came home. And it's such a, just a powerful reminder to us that material things can always be replaced. Hurts can always be forgotten. Sins can always be forgiven. But there's a point when a son and a soul or a daughter wanders away that they can reach the point where they can no longer be restored. Jesus tells us that in uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. It says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And the father realized he knew what mattered most, and that was his son was able to come home. So as I think about these things, and we look at this characteristics of who the father was and how he lived and what his heart was like and how it was reflected and how he responded to his um, prodigal son returning home. I just think about how much does that even uh, apply to us today in who we want to be as biological fathers and mothers, but also spiritual fathers and mothers. But one of the things that we have to realize is in our culture, uh, there's not a whole lot of those spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, and even sometimes spiritual biological fathers and mothers to really connect with sons and daughters. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, 15, he says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. And I think Paul is trying to help us understand this fact that um, there's prodigal sons and daughters out there, but the thing that God needs most is spiritual, godly fathers and mothers because that's a key component of why a son or daughter will ever come home. And then if we want to go a little bit back to the Gospel of Luke as well, back to chapter 1, um, this is what it says. This is, this is what God is prophetically doing in the world, and I think He's doing it right now. In Luke 1.17, it says, It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And this morning, what I want us to do is to dig a little bit deeper into that idea of the heart and mind of a father. And I think that verse right there is so true. And it, and it keys in on probably one of the greatest Old Testament pictures of what a good and a great spiritual father is, and that's Elijah. 
the story of Elijah and Elijah. And you've all heard it many times before, but we're just going to look at it this morning and we're going to try to pull out some things. What does the heart and the mind of a father look like that makes the reconnection with prodigal sons and daughters happen? And the first thing that I want us to look at is, is it begins with a prophetic action. So we're going to, if you have your Bibles, your tablets, or your, your phone or whatever, turn and let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. And this is what it says. So Elijah went from there and found Elijah, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. He doesn't leave it on him. He throws it up on him for just a few, maybe moments, and maybe looks him in the eye. Then he pulls it off and he keeps on going. And this is the NIV and it calls it his cloak. Uh, Other versions, which I really like, call it his mantle. And that's what I'm primarily going to refer to it as this morning as we look at this uh, whole uh, set of verses. So the question is, is, so why did God pick him? Why did God say to Elijah, go and bring Elisha on as your mentor, the one who's going to take your place? And really, if I could say it this way, it's all about what God saw in Elijah. And then God is going to use Elijah to bring it out, to draw it out. Covering him with his mantle was basically saying this, I see something in you. I see a purpose in you. I see a destiny in you. I see a future in you. I see all these things that I want to pull out and develop and use in your life for my good, for my glory, and for my kingdom. But most of all, and you guys, we have to really hear this this morning, it was an invitation for him to be covered and cared for by Elijah. It's a powerful picture, and if I could say it this way, it's... It's a picture of Elijah saying to Elijah, I want you to come under my spiritual covering. I want to become your mentor. I want to be your discipler. I want to teach you things about what it means to follow God. And I also believe that this is what almost every young person is looking for. I'm going to say a lot of them haven't found that in their biological families, and so they're looking for it some other place. And I believe what God really wants to do is it's really take that longing that ever, every young person has and connect them with a spiritual father or a spiritual mother, one that will be a covering, especially a spiritual covering over them. So what we need to do is we need to ask God to anoint our eyes, to see those that are around us, to help us see what God sees in them, and then begin to work with God to draw that out. That was the first thing. The second thing is, is Elijah connects with Elijah as his spiritual father. In verse 19 and 20, it says, Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. And now listen to this. It says, go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And man, what a crazy question that is, isn't it? I mean... There's Elijah just doing his job, you know, out in the field, plowing, doing what he's supposed to be doing. Elijah comes along, flips the mantle up on him, looks him in the eye, and turns and leaves. And, but something obviously gets sparked in Elijah's spirit when that happens. And so 
As Elijah begins to walk away, Elijah follows him and says, let me go and do these things. And he says, you know, what have I done to you? (laughs) Wow, it's kind of a weird question, isn't it? So I would say on the outside, it really doesn't look like he's done anything, does it? But we realize and understand what we just said before, that when he throws that mantle on him, it does something to him. It's, it's, It's Elijah saying, I see something in you. God sees something in you. And so what I think is happening here, and I love there's a, there's a writer and a guy who's worked with youth for uh, his whole career in ministry, and his name is Chap Clark. And he said, every young person has these six needs or six longings. And the first one is, is they long to belong. They long to have a place where they feel like they are part of something, part of a group, part of a family, part of a group of people who love them. The second thing he says is they long to be taken seriously. That, that who they are, who they become, that, that they matter, that they can make a difference, and they have something to contribute, a place where others value them for who they are. And I'm going to say for a lot of the younger generation, there's not a place like that that they can find. The third thing is, is they long to matter. They realize they have no real meaning in life. I mean, besides being on the phone and doing all these other things, I mean, they're trying to find meaning. And they want to contribute. They want to, they, want to, they want to make a difference. And they want somebody to recognize that they have an ability and that they matter. The fourth thing is, is they long to have a safe place, to have a place of security, to have a place to be just who they are, to not have to pretend, not have to perform for anybody, but just to be and for people to love them for just who they are. The fifth thing is they long to be free and real and to be able to share their doubts. And I'm going to say so many of the studies and research that so many of the the Pew research and when they talk to young people, they say the church is not a place where I can be real about my doubts. So we we have to give them a place where they can be real. And then number six is they long to be wanted. And lots of times for churches they can sense when the church just wants them to be part of a, a, a number, like, oh, you're part of our high school group. You're one of you know, 50, or you're part of our young adult group, and you're one of 100. They don't want to just be a number. They, want to, they long to be wanted for who they are and who God created them to be. So those are kind of the foundational things that we're going to work out from. So now in your Bibles, flip over to, over to 2 Kings chapter 2. So all these things have happened. We're not going to look at them. Most of you guys, you, you know the story anyway. You know all the things that have happened. But now the, the prophets, the 50 prophets in the, in the school of the prophets have been saying to Elijah, hey, you know that today God is going to take your master into heaven. And Elijah says, yeah, I know that's going to happen. So they're walking, they're, they're together. And so go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 7. And I'm going to read to verse 14. It says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elijah had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, his mantle, he rolled it up and he struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. 
Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a great whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. His heart was broken, and Elijah saw him no more. Then he took a hold of his garment and he tore in two, which was a sign of grieving. Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak, his mantle that had fallen from him, and he went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water, water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Man, there's so many prophetic things here that I really want us to grab a hold of. Because if our heart's desire is to do what Peter encouraged and challenged us to do, for, to pray for prodigal sons and daughters to come home, then this is vital that we understand these things as individuals and as a church. So we're going to continue. The third thing that I want us to see this, mor- this morning is consider the ultimate question that a father can ask. So in verse 9a, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Man, I look at that and I go, what a question. What a powerful question that he is asking his, his, the, the man he's mentored and discipled. Before I'm taken, what can I do for, for you? And to me, this is a very, very powerful prophetic question that matters, I think, in so many ways today. And sometimes we wonder why there's so few people in the local church. Where, where are they? Where have they gone? Why did they graduate from high school and never come back? And part of, I believe, the issue is, is we don't ask them that question. As a church, as individuals, what can we do for you? And, and I think we have to ask that. But we can't ask it unless we sincerely mean it, unless we're willing to do something about it if they have enough courage to tell us the truth and to share their hearts with us about how they really feel. What can we do for them? Over the last six years, I've been part of a church, and uh, I took over as interim pastor, then became the lead pastor. And they were an older congregation, and one of the things they said all the time is, is we want the young people to come. We want the young people to come and be a part of our church. So I would ask them, okay, what can we do differently that will help young people want to come and be a part of our church? Well, the reality was they didn't want to do anything differently. They wanted to do everything the same, and yet they wanted young people to come. They weren't willing to ask them the question, what can we as the older generation do for you? So to me, it's the the ultimate definition of insanity. The church wants young people to come and be a part of it, and yet we do the same thing over and over and over again, and we never ask them the question, what can we do for you? And so they don't come, but we do the same thing over again, and then we wonder why they don't come. That's insanity. The only way is when we're going to do something different, to be willing to honestly and sincerely ask them that question, and then be willing to do whatever we need to do to help them come home come home to God, come home to our families, and come home to church. 
God knew this was going to be an issue. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And, you know, the question we have to ask is, is why, does, why does God single out fathers? Well, almost every mother automatically gives her heart to her child. I mean, just think about it. The pain, everything that happens in childbirth, and the first thing the mom says after all that is, is let me hold that little baby, and she does. So God, I think, is he's speaking to fathers today. He's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me about what keeps a father's heart from turning towards the younger generation and towards sometimes his own children. Well, I'm going to say it's fear, it's pride, Sometimes it's just out-and-out stubbornness. But I'm going to say lots of times it's because as fathers, we were never given what we needed, and we don't have what we need to be able to pass on. But that's part of what God's heart is, is to restore those things. So as a generation and as fathers, can I ask you this question today? Can we be willing to ask the next generation that question, what can we do for you? And I believe if we can do that, we will see a difference. We will see something happen in the spiritual realm and in our nation and in the church if we can respond with an honest, in an honest way to really help them. The fourth thing that I want us to see is what, what a wonderful question that Elijah asks Elijah. What can I do for you? So he has got carte blanche. I mean... He could ask anything that he wanted, but he says this. This is his res- response in Second uh, Kings chapter 2, verse 9b. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And when he says that, it doesn't just mean a double portion or twice as much as something. It, it's, it, ha- it has a far greater meaning than that. And so we have to know that when he uses the word spirit, the spirit is a person. So he can't, you can't get twice as much uh, of a person. But in the Old Testament, that would have been used in conjunction with the firstborn son. The firstborn son always got a double portion of inheritance. And that he's saying, as I'm going to be the one now who's going to basically take over your ministry, what I know that I need the most is a double portion, Elijah, of what you have. And when I read that, I think I think lots of times it's like... It, would the younger generation ever say to us, I want a double portion of what you have. I want a double portion of the spirit of what God has put in you. And he only asked that because he's watched how Elijah's lived, all the miracles, all the things that he's done. You know, he called down fire from heaven. He killed the prophets of Baal, all these different things. And so Elisha could have asked for anything, but he says, I want a double portion. And I want, I want us to hear this this morning. He doesn't say, give me a double portion of your religion because that's not what he really needed. He does, doesn't say, give me a double portion of your pride. He doesn't, give me, he doesn't say, give me a double portion of your judgment. And he doesn't even say, give me a, a double portion of your answers, which is what we are so prone to want to give to the next generation. He says, give me a double portion of your spirit. Elijah had something 
worth wanting. He had something that Elijah knew that he wanted as well. And I wonder, I wonder if when the, old, the younger generation looks up at the older generation, do they see anything in us that they would want double of? And if we can't answer yes right now, I, I want to just challenge us as the older generation. Just like Peter said, can we ask God to help bring the prodigals home? Can we ask God to give us something that the younger generation would say, give me a double portion of what God has given you? Man, I hope we can do that. I think it's essential. I think it's going to be the, the main thing that helps us pass faith on to the next generation. And so how does this happen? The fifth thing that I want us to see is in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11, it says, as they were walking along and talking together. What a beautiful picture. That's how it happens. They spent, they spent the years before walking along and talking together. And that's how Elijah saw what Elijah had. And I think about this. Let me just throw out another question. When was the last time you walked along or did life with somebody from the younger generation that wasn't part of your family? And I'm going to say we have a huge dearth of that in the church. And to me, I'm going to say it's going to be a key component of what's going to help prodigals, sons and daughters, want to come home is when they find a spiritual father or a spiritual mother who's willing to walk alongside of them in life. About two years ago, I met this young guy. Uh, he was struggling, trying to figure a lot of things out, his spirituality, his faith. And so I said, hey, let's get together. So for the last about two years, he and I've met together. We've, I mean, he tells me everything that he's struggling with. He's totally, brutally honest. So we hit some hard topics. Mostly I just listen, and when God gives me the little nugget or thing that I can share with him, I do. I try to encourage him. I try to pray for him. I try to help him along in this journey. One day, maybe this was like maybe four or five months ago, he said, Jim, I just want to tell you something. You're the first adult Christian man that has ever taken time to sit with me and to listen to me. Did you hear that? First Christian man who's ever taken the time to sit with me and listen with me. How can that be? How can that be when Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I taught you. You guys, we can't make disciples without relationship. We can't bring prodigal sons and daughters home without walking alongside of them and loving them and helping them and encouraging them and blessing them. And I'm just going to say, as a young person, if you're listening this morning, I hope you can find an older person. I hope that today maybe this is inspiring you to say, this is what I need. I need to find an older person who will mentor me, who will disciple me, who will come alongside and walk with me in this life. And I'm going to pray if that's you, find my email address or ask somebody for my phone number. Call me. I want to help you find somebody. I want to help you get connected because you don't have to walk through this life alone. And then says that he picked up the mantle. 
In verse uh, 13, it says, Elijah then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him, and he went back and he stood on the, on the bank of the Jordan. And if I could say it, this is the picture of, of, of the, the divine transfer, spiritual transfer from one generation to the next. When, when he got taken up into heaven, his mantle fell to the ground. And Elijah had, he had a choice to make. But because of who he saw that Elijah was, because of everything that he had learned, everything that had happened between those two guys as they walked along together, he knew one thing, and that is that he wanted the mantle of Elijah, and he picked it up, and he held on to it, and he made it his. And I'm going to say, when we leave this earth, will someone pick up our mantle? Will there be a young person who's there that says, I want what he had. I want what she had. Oh God, I pray that that would be true. My dad died about a year and a half ago, and there's nine kids in my family. There's between grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Now there's almost a hundred of us. And we had a family reunion last June, and I had a chance on Sunday morning, we did our own church service, about 75 of us. And I used this story, and I talked about my dad. And I said, Dad had a mantle that was made up of three things. A love of God, a love of family, and a love of life. And I said, his mantle is here today, right now. And you have a choice. You can pick it up. You can pick up those three things and you can take them with you and you can pass them on to your children and to your grandchildren and to future generations. But the choice is always up to us. Will we pick up the mantle and we take it, will we take it with us? Elisha did. What a great picture. What a powerful thing. And right along with that goes the next thing that happened. And he says this, so he says, then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and he struck the water with it. And he makes this statement or question. Now, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And then he struck the water with it and it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. The first thing that Elijah wanted to know was God with him. Was God with him just like God was with Elijah? And so what a great question. Where is the God of Elijah? Is he here with me right now? And I want to I share something with you. Uh, George Barna did a study uh, a few years ago, and he came up with five reasons why millennials don't want to come to church. But I just want to talk about the second one uh, to you this morning. So the report is titled, Why Millennials Are Absent from the Church. The number two reason was God is missing in the church. And what, what the whole thing says is, it's not about performance. It's not about how great the band is. It's not about how decorated the church is or anything like that. When they come to church, they want to know they're going to connect with the living God. They want to know, is God real and alive? They want to know, where is the God of this generation? Is he here for me? Will I be able to know him and encounter him? And will he make a difference in my life? That's what they are looking for. Will he be as just as real to me as he was to Elijah? And he's asking this too. Someday when I need a miracle in my own life, will God be there for me? And I'm going to say the answer is yes. God will be there for you. 
He will show up. He will do miracles. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will always get you through. And if I could say it this way, where is the God of Elijah? He's right here. He's right there with you. Wherever you are right now, the God of Elijah is with you. And he's here today to speak words of life to you. If you're part of the next generation, he's here asking you, do you want to pick up the mantle? Do you want to become a follower? Do you want to become sold out for Jesus? If you're if you've been out there, or maybe even right now, you can be in church but still be a prodigal. Today's the day that you can say, I want to come home. I want to come back to the Father. I want what Elijah had. I want what this generation above me has. So I just want to say to you today, there's two things that we need to be praying for. We need to pray for prodigal sons and daughters to come home. And we need to pray that God would turn the hearts of fathers and mothers towards the next generation. And that when we see them, we would run to them, we would love them, we would walk alongside of them, and we would teach them the ways of Jesus. Amen. So I just ask you, if you would, just please bow with me right now and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the divine message last week that Peter shared. God, of seeking your heart to bring prodigal sons and daughters home, and we know there's so many of them. But Lord, today we also want to pray for the older generation. Would you touch our hearts? Would you turn our hearts? Would you be willing to help us ask the next generation, what can we do for you? How can we help you? How can we love you? How can we encourage you? Can we accept you and love you and forgive you? And God, our hearts desires that we would be able to say yes to all those questions. So God, we just say, be with us, stir our hearts. God, may this word go out with prophetic power today to change Heritage Christian Fellowship. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.